been through like a heck of a lot since we like last spoke to each other. I think we, we last spoke to each other almost like, I don't know, a year or two ago. And back then your business wasn't as big as it was today. It was like still in the prototype phase. Do you want to like, maybe for the people that are listening, just quickly run down like your journey about, cause you're very young. How old are you? 18. Yeah. So you're 18. You've got this business. Uh, we actually met like two or three years ago at a place called little Tokyo too. Um, and before then you didn't have, you were working on a business. You, you didn't have a company or anything, but now you're at a point where you've got like eight staff or whatever it is. Um, and yeah, you're running a, a company by yourself. So just talk me through that whole process. Okay. So I started it back in uh, grade nine at high okay. school. So we, it was basically a school assignment where we had to come up with a bunch of problems we thought would be at large in future Brisbane, yep. decide on one and come up with a bunch of solutions to it. I chose identity theft as a problem, digital identification as a solution. Mm-hmm. Originally, I was trying to make a digital version of your driver's license. So you can go out uh, yep. without having to take anything other than your phone. Uh, as a 14-year-old kid, wasn't mm-hmm. going to get access to all the government databases I needed to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And that was after speaking with my mentor at Microsoft at the time. And so decided to pivot it to the alcohol industry in late 2016, mm. early 2017. And venues were being told about these new ID scanners that were going to be um, mandated upon them from the 1st of July, 2017. And all the problems that they were having with them and just constantly complaining about it. And then it started to become mm. when we were talking to venues about the, the concept of a patron being able to go out with a digital version of their driver's license, that they were asking us whether there was something that we could do to introduce a new ID scanning system that would be better and using newer tech because mm. the current providers have been around since 2011 uh, or the major provider anyway. And their tech is using a lot of the same tech, which hasn't really changed a lot over that period since 2011, which is absolutely crazy to think like their mm. main key piece of tech, which powers the whole thing is called an Intel NUC. So it's this little black yeah. box thing which powers it and the last time it was updated. So even if they did update it from when it was originally in 2011, the last time to date from now that it was last updated was 2015. So it's still five year old or older tech that's uh, out there operational in 2020, which is nuts. And so we uh, basically decided to introduce a new system to really uh, help the venues and uh, Mm. try and process patrons a lot more efficiently and effectively with a greater accuracy because you and I both know that if there's a patron standing outside of the door that could be standing inside the venue, spending money, that is a lot more valuable to a venue because they have a greater, a larger window for a patron to then as a result, spend money. And hence why it's been such a driving factor for venues to start porting over to us. So it took four years for us to get to this point. And we now have a fully operational product, which is we've got 35 venues across Queensland currently so Mm -hmm. when we got our approval through uh, in June this year we had about a month to convert news as possible Uh, we ended up selling through all of our first order of hardware yeah which was which was pretty cool I was pretty happy with that and then now um, before that in order to get to that point the software actually took 18 months to be developed yeah and over a million dollars so it's a what is it just say a million dollars over half a million half a million dollars to develop the software over that yeah jeez so let's let's like get this straight you basically realize that the clubs in every day basically have like a flawed model of getting people into the into the club which is like a big black box that's outdated you developed a software called idu identification that basically lets people to scan their uh, driver's license with their phones, get them inside the club, you know, help the clubs make more money as fast as possible. Um, and that took that whole process of you developing that business was about a three to four year journey. Um, and like, you know, half a million dollars in development. Yeah. And then we had approval fees from the government as well. So the product is just an iPad, which a bouncer holds. And then the patrons provide the bouncers with their driver's licenses. And so using newer tech, we can scan faster and more accurately yeah. and consistently more accurately than, than what they've been able to do. So before there's no hard wires, it's all mm. completely Wi-Fi based at the moment. It's all based off of a local server that's hosted at each individual venue mm. um, versus us straight from the device up to the cloud. 
using Google Cloud Service. So as the most advanced tech available is what we've included in it. Yeah, cool. And so it took took a while, but so finally made <laughs> it. Yeah, it took, took a few years. Yeah, just a bit of a while. Um, so who, who yeah. what type of clubs are you servicing right now? Uh, bars, pubs, hotels, nightclubs are the, the main ones. So there's 212 venues in Queensland or 213. Yep something like that, that are legally required to operate ID scanners. Yep. So any of those venues we can sell to. Like legally speaking, we can sell to any licensed venue, but our primary target market is the venues that are mandated to do so because they tend to have more scanners than sure. a venue outside of a safe night precinct is. And it's not as easy to sell to a venue outside of a safe night precinct. Yeah, sure. And what, what, what's the, like the, the most notable, notable like club or bar that you currently um, have operating these, these ID scanners? Uh, the Caxton Hotel. Caxton Hotel. Oh, cool. Is yeah. that like a fr- so free entry over. kind of thing? <laughs> free entry for me or free yeah. entry for <laughs> Well, I don't know. I've got plus one. Yeah. You get you get free entry and just bring me along. Yeah. And just jump up into the DJ booth. Free yeah, exa- exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd really, really love to know, because I think we kind of touched on this like a couple of, um, I think it was last week or so, but um, COVID obviously was was well still is a thing but quite recently most of the bars in you know queensland if not you know all of australia got hit with it and they had to close like how would how did you operate throughout that period and still operating throughout this period like how was that for you and you know what challenges did you have to overcome to get you know to get to this point for sure it's um it hasn't been the hardest challenge that we've had to go through but definitely pretty high out there Mm. we um Initially, because the clubs were closed, our approval was pushed back because the, the government, that the department that issues our approval was still going through our approval process. And because of all of these questions and everything that they had to deal with, mm. with um, the regulations around venues having to be closed, they then had to kind of put our approval back in the back seat to an extent. So then it actually delayed our approval coming through, which could have come through earlier mm. at the start of this year prior yeah. to COVID, um, actually coming through halfway through the year as a result of everything. And then mm. in June, when we got the approval through, there was maybe five of our venues that we had signed actually up and operational. And in order to get venues um, converted over to us, because they were such a in such a tight position money-wise, we mm. had to offer a really enticing deal. So we gave the venues their first two months of use free to get them back up on their feet to really entice yeah. as many venues to come over as possible because then we are generally like on a week in week out cheaper, but then we're a company that um, venues hadn't necessarily heard of before. So sure. they were taking a bit of a gamble, although we knew and we were confident in the product, mm. you had to get that extra confidence. And by having that pricing incentive, it got us there But at the moment hasn't really made too much of a difference. Venues are fairly in, as far as we're concerned operating as normal. Yeah. Well, what's interesting to me, because given I'm like in the marketing space is what you've done, you've basically to get these people to sign off while you're, because you didn't have a physical product to sell to these clubs, right? You had to like generate demand before the product was actually finished. So like from a marketing standpoint, how did you do that? Like, you know, all these clubs, you know, basically waiting for you to finish this product. Um, how did you go about, you know, marketing and getting these people interested to kind of sign on board as soon as you're ready to, to go live? Um, it was really based around conversations and relationships and based with the venues themselves mm. and then what's called safe night precincts. So there's 15 safe night precincts across Queensland mm-hmm. and they have monthly meetings. So we would actually go to those meetings, not at every safe night precinct, of course, but different mm. ones around the place to present to venues and present to the safe night precinct boards, which look after those venues. Mm. And when speaking directly with venues, we really uh, brought up the problems that they were facing with the current systems yeah. and really got them to think about what they didn't like. So then a, it uh, allowed us to get a better understanding of it and B it had mean that we could then ensure we didn't have those problems. Sure. And then because you're making them think about the problems that they're having, if you come to them and say, I can solve that problem for you. I don't, we're, we're going through the approval process. We don't have the physical product for you to start using now. But if we solve these problems for you, would you sign on board or sign with us to use our system? And mm. by doing that, we actually got quite a few venues saying yes, because 
off the back of us saying, we're going to solve these problems for you. And we did exactly that. We delivered on what we said we would do. And as a result, we now have 35 venues, which are loving the system. We haven't had any bad feedback. And we did have a few bugs initially, but obviously that's as to be expected in any new kind of software that's being released. Um, But as soon as we fix those bugs, the way that we handled it, the way that we provided customer service to the venues has really showed who we are as a company and how we operate. So Mm. that's what they can then continue to expect at any point into the future as to if any bugs do pop up in the future, rather than us saying, set and forget, we're going to take your money week in, week out, and we're not going to provide you a high level of customer experience or Mm. customer service, which is what they've had to deal with in the past. Sure. So what you essentially did was you surveyed customers to really identify their pain points. And then as you're building this product, you're iterating it based on that feedback and based essentially plug in the holes, which like the current products um, are kind of lacking in. And then from there, basically just keeping in touch with these people, presenting them that like, okay, all those problems you had, we basically like built this thing to fix all of those things. And then once you go live, that's basically it. Yeah. Exactly. And then we would, not in every case, we would give them like a bit of a demo. We had a, uh, like an interactive prototype, which we could show them. And because it looks and feels a lot like an operational Mm. model, it allowed us to give them an understanding of what it would look like, how it would function and say that these are the things that it'll do. And by doing so, we didn't really have to go into too much detail about the product itself. As long as we could show them and tell them that we're going to be fixing these problems. Mm. they were so fed up with the competition and the products that they've had to use previously because they legally have no choice that they have to use us or mm. our competitor and that they've had so many problems with the competitor and the competitor is a, an, a multinational company. They just don't give a shit about the little venue that goes, Oh, can mm. you make this feature better for me? No, screw you. We don't give a shit about what you want. You're going to continue using the product because there's no other alternative. Mm. And now it's like, well, guess what? There is It's a yeah. better alternative. And venues are loving it, which is what we like. That's to a, see. that's a really cool marketing tactic. It's basically, um, I don't know if you're like, if you read marketing books, you probably don't, but I'm a bit of a nerd and I love reading like these marketing concepts and stuff. And there's this concept called like, um, like the first and second position in a market. So, um, kind of similar to like Coca-Cola or Pepsi, like the big players in the industry, you can't beat them at their own game. You need to kind of like, come at it as a second position like you know to compete with these guys you need to be the opposite of them right so instead of saying we have a better whatever they've already got we say no we are literally the opposite of what you've got and we we basically you know fix all the problems that you have with this other company and you kind of make them switch so i love how you positioned yourself as like you know this big monopoly of an id scanner that's not us. We do, we do this thing and we do, we fix all the problems that you have. Exactly. Because there used to be another provider that was approved in the market. And I found out at the beginning of COVID, they went into liquidation as a result of being $8 million in debt and their system functioned and looked pretty much the same as the initial uh, market entrant. And they looked functioned and Mm. Um, had similar issues to the point where it's like okay well why would we bother introducing something that's just a replica that just doesn't have the same features or the same bugs why why not change and introduce something that venues actually want that's going to solve problems and that's Mm. going to work better and be seen as introducing innovation that the the industry hasn't really seen before because Mm. the the alcohol industry even since like 1780s or 1900s or 1800s, whatever, hasn't really changed a great deal. Obviously, you've got people that are coming in to do DJing with their electronic EDM music. But (laughs) at the end of the day, a bar is still a bar, the same way that a bar was back in the 1800s in wild, wild west in in the US. You go in, you grab a drink, you have a chat with some mates. Yeah, That kind of core concept of it hasn't really changed a great deal. And... At the moment, obviously, there's a a huge angle about making it safer for for everyone going in to a venue. And if we can help contribute to that in a new way with uh, making everyone's life easier, then that's exactly what we wanted to do. And that's what we've done. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. I I love like, because people don't understand this, but I worked at a place called Little Togo 2 two to three years ago. I don't even know how many years it was, but 
back then you and I knew each other, but you didn't, you literally did not have a, I would real isn't the right word, but you didn't have like a, a company, right? You didn't have a product. You were still developing this thing. It was an idea that you were constantly working on and fast forward three years, you're now a 18 year old, 19 year old, like founder with several employees. You've got a real product. You've got tens of like clubs and bars that are using your product. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think you should really like, I don't know, like congratulate yourself on that, on that big transition from, you know, just idea to actually like company owner, business owner. Cause I think that's like a massive, massive step um, along that journey. Obviously you being super young, you've had to, you would have had to overcome so much, so many barriers, so many, like so much struggles, right? Like talk to me about what it's like being an 18 year old company owner managing like several employees, like, yeah, just the, what, what goes on behind that, you know, it's, it's different to what I was expecting. Like, obviously there is some things which, I was expecting to happen, but last Mm. year in particular was one of the more difficult times for us uh, Mm. because I had an ex-business partner actually go rogue. So because I was 17 at the time, he thought that he knew more than me and that uh, I wasn't going to be able to do everything um, as well as he could. And so he, as a result, told me that I wasn't going to be running the company anymore and because I was 17 and we had incorporated as a company, I had to appoint this individual as the director of the company because I didn't want to put that risk on uh, any family members or anything like that. And this individual was happy to do that. And yeah. so as a result of being the company director, they thought that they had more power than what they actually did without fully understanding the role of a company director. Yeah. And so they came to me and, and tried to tell me that I wasn't going to be running the company anymore, that I was going to be sitting back and watching them run it for at least a year and learning from them running it. When mm. this individual was nearly 50, had never run a tech startup before, had never run a, t- a startup before, had done some kind of business stuff, but not really a great deal coming to me, telling me yeah. that yeah. how to run my business better than I did. And I was like, I'm not having a bar of it. So I completely got rid of it. Um, huge um, time and there was a great deal of stress uh, but we ended up getting through it and um, are now out on the other side of it but it was just such a, a weird thing that obviously other 20 30 year old founders probably would have experienced as well, mm. uh, well some people hope not too many but um, it's different because they then as like someone that's nearly 50 puts themselves on a bit of a pedestal thinking that they know more than somebody that's younger just because that of that age difference so it, that was definitely the hardest yeah part so how, how, how is that like the how do you cope with that then like you know being 18 people kind of don't respect your knowledge your expertise even your co-founder was you know who by the way is supposed to be the one that's like backing you 100 percent, the one that's you know 50 50 or whatever split in the company um with you should be backing you all the way like you know how do you how do you cope with the fact that some people probably think that you don't know what you you actually know and you know being young you you don't yeah you're not able to run a company or whatever you know those types of thoughts yeah it's uh, it's definitely difficult like going through it it was really helpful having particular mentors in place and then just knowing um in myself that i i knew that i could make the company successful and deliver on something because I had already secured interested customers. I had already secured an investor. I had already done all of these things and that this was just another hurdle in the way of me getting and reaching my goal of launching this company and and servicing venues to make their life easier. But it was a little bit of a weird one at the moment. It's not as big of a deal or as big of an issue. Uh, Generally because I am six foot four, it it does help. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that I yeah, don't yeah, pretty, pretty tall like you like so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it probably wouldn't help if you were like a, an 18 year old like five foot you know person like me <laughs> <laughs> yeah I don't think so but uh, at the moment generally they think that I'm around like 21 at least some people sure. think I'm like 24 and I never really bring up the fact that I'm 18 unless they know prior to it and so that part just um mm. 
really helped the image per se because if i was short and looked like i was a kid then i think that they would lose um, a bit of respect but because of the momentum that we've generated as a new company as a fresh young company as well they Mm. understand that the the young particularly the venues in particular they generally understand that young people is what's driving the next generation of innovation and technology and respect the fact that we're likely to be the in the best position to help them uh, with their problems. And in some cases I deal with um, venue owners of 60, 70, 80, some of them like 40, and then there's managers which are in their twenties and thirties. The managers in their twenties, thirties, they're fine. The ones that are seventies, eighties owners, they're fine. It generally seems to be that only the people around that kind of 40 to 50 age bracket are the ones that are a little bit more difficult in some cases. Um, But as long as you're providing uh, like a proven track record and that you are going to deliver on whatever you say that you're going to deliver on, Mm. uh, most of them just don't, don't really care uh, if I'm younger than them. It's just that we're bringing a new product that's making their lives easier. Yeah. So like, you know, results speak, speak louder than words. So, you know, you just kind of, you know, paving the way through, through just your track record, really. Exactly. And I'm, more the face of the company but at the same time it really does help with being in this industry in my particular opinion because because i'm 18 i actually go out to these venues myself with my friends and so i have an forward that works for a competitor that just walks down the street with a beer belly and goes hey yeah yeah how's it going mate you don't have a proper understanding of how the industry works from a patron's perspective versus being 18, 19, 20 ish. You have those both perspectives as a (laughs) a venue manager from a a patron and from an ID scanning point of view. Yeah. So, so yeah, you you know, you going out with your mates and stuff is, is a user, user, or is it like research? User testing. Yeah. User testing. Yeah. Market research. User testing. (laughs) <laughs> testing out the systems doing some market research on the competitors uh whatever their venues are at just uh yeah. making sure that functions okay and just if i slip in the uh the side there and get a vip <laughs> entrance with uh turn around yeah. and uh, tap the bouncer on the shoulder and go hey mate you want to scan me in and yeah and i go and so there you just get some really weird looks from some people in the line that have been there particularly like at the moment in, in COVID that have been standing there for like an hour yeah. two hours and i'm just coming in and within a minute I've got my, <laughs> it's I'm a good in. place to be in it's probably popular yeah, exactly. very popular uh, amongst your mates just get to to get that vip <laughs> entrance in those clubs <laughs> a few of them and then some of them like will be out at a venue and then they'll send me a photo it's like i found your i found your system at this venue can you get me in yeah like, yeah no. oh man Only you must get a lot I'm of that there. yeah you must get a lot of that hey i'm fortunate so far that i haven't had any of my friends get banned from any of these venues sure i just hope that doesn't happen because otherwise they uh, they might uh, think that i might be able to remove their ban and it's gonna be like yeah no nah, can't, <laughs> can't do that sorry yeah yeah you mentioned something uh, before we kind of, you know, started recording, but um, about like the difficulties of um, running a business, especially at your age and also like <clears throat> the transition from school, being a business owner in school, trying to, you know, cope with the, the f- like work versus life balance, you know, meeting your friends every day and stuff like that versus now where, especially in COVID, it's a bit hard to do so like, maybe kind of touch on like the mental health aspect of it, like what it's like being an 18 year old founder um, trying to balance life versus like full-time business owner trying to grow this thing to a massive scale. Yeah, for sure. Like as a, any founder would understand, there's definitely a huge like mental health toll on mm. it and you'll kind of, find that you're working really weird hours some people will have a day job and then be building their business on the side so they don't really have a huge amount of spare time to catch Mm. up with friends and particularly for someone that's 18 like myself and i've got a couple other friends that are my age that run their own businesses as well and it's like well we're out here running our 
businesses and trying to scale it while friends and other people that I went to school with are going out every Friday, Saturday night and getting absolutely pissed drunk and ending up in a garden outside the front yeah. of some pub and waking up at 5am in the morning going, what the fuck have I just done with myself and just sitting there going, huh, <laughs> yeah. I'm regretting my life decisions. Um, and it's like, I personally don't fantasize about going and getting drunk like that. I'll, sure. I still like going out and catching up with some friends and having a, a drink here and there, but, it's not as if you're really getting anything out of going and getting blind drunk every weekend because you're not going to remember it the next day and you wake up with a ripping hangover. Like what a waste of time and money, but mm. it's um, on the other side of things day to day, catching up with friends is a lot more difficult now um, than what it was at school. At school, you go in, you walk in every day, you see your friends and you have a chat. As is at the moment, everyone's got uni, everyone's got work, all the, all the different time uh, that everyone's doing their different uh, activities yeah. at, you have to then try and work in with each other to try and work out a time. And it might be like once every three weeks, once every month that you actually can line up a time where everyone's free to be able to go and catch up. And so it's a huge difference because then particularly like what you mentioned as being at home um, without necessarily other people there, it's um, you kind of get tunnel sided and just focusing on, uh, growing the business and not really focusing on your life outside of the business. And I think mm. that it's really important to recognize that if you are getting to that point and to take a step back and still maintain a social life, because you don't want to get to the point where it's just the business is your sole focus. You don't have a life outside of it because mm. then what happens when you sell the business, you stop working at that business then you go, Oh, well shit, what do I do now? Mm. And it's a, not really a position that anyone really wants to be in. Mm, yeah. Was there anything that you found surprising about building a business? Like, cause I know a lot of people kind of, they build businesses because they want like this Lamborghini, like lifestyle, you know, or, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, you know, like type thing. They go to bars every day. Yep. They're like flying helicopters around, but more often than not, a lot of times businesses, are, it's quite, I wouldn't say boring, but it's like, it's the total opposite of the perception of what entrepreneurship and business is like. It's, you know, staying in office at weird hours of the day and, you know, just really, really hustling and grinding to, to grow your business. Like, did you find anything surprising? Sure. Like I um, saw a clear example of exactly what you just said. I had a friend a couple of years ago that literally wanted to start a business because he wanted to get money. He didn't yeah. start a business because he saw a problem that he was really passionate about and that he actually wanted to solve. He purely started the business because he wanted the money. And after about six months, the business failed mm. because he wasn't passionate enough about it to continue pushing through when times got tough. Sure. And there's so many people out there that just think, oh, I'm going to go start a business. I'm going to be successful and don't really understand what's required to, to actually reach that point and they underestimate it. And because they're not passionate about what they're doing and they're not actually enjoying what they're doing, they go, well, screw it. I'm not going to bother doing this anymore versus mm. obviously the alcohol industry is a weird industry, but I'm not specifically passionate about the alcohol industry, but I'm uh, passionate about solving this particular problem, which I've sure. already invested so much time into. And obviously you would be passionate about your marketing side of things and, and helping mm. other other companies and other people that aren't necessarily as competent in marketing, marketing to really take their business to the next level. And without that passion, you're not really mm. going to have the pathway to find that success. Yeah. I think um, that was, I, 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 that's a really good answer, man. I think a lot of times people, when you're motivated by um, like things like such as money, right. It'll only take you so far. Like it's fine if money motivates you on some level, but um if it's not something else driving that um, for you to grow that business, there's going to be something that that's going to pop up. That's going to make you quit. Right. And I think that's why a lot of businesses kind of fail. There's no real motivation behind it. And I think for sure. um, one of the things I learned, because I used to study occupational therapy, funnily, funnily enough, but um, I probably, I did like two years there and I probably learned one thing that really stuck with me and it was called the ABCs of passion. I don't know if that's the actual mm. name, but that's kind of what I, named it but um it kind of talked about to find passion you need the a b and c you can't have two of the three you need all three and abc yeah. basically stands for autonomy belongingness and competency so autonomy you need to have control over your life like the ability to make your decision 
uh, belongingness, you need, whatever you're doing, you need to feel connected or part of something bigger. And then competency, you need to be somewhat good at it. So um, you can kind of take for the example, um, like a professional or someone who in high school is really good at a sport. Um, they might have autonomy or they might have, you know, belongingness, like everyone loves them. Like they're, they're like part of this football team and they're, they're really competent. They're really good, but they didn't have autonomy because, you know, they don't want to become a professional footballer. They're being forced to, For sure. and then you won't have passion, which means when something happens, um, they're not going to kind of like persevere and get through that. So I think that, yeah, to, to kind of touch on, um, you know, building a business and stuff like that, you need to be driven by all of those different things. Money can work, but you need to have, you need to find passion as well. So I think um, it's good that, you know, we're both kind of in that same picture. You love building businesses sure. and solving problems and stuff like that. For sure. Cause if you're not willing to put in what's required, there's, there's no doubt about it that no matter what business you start, there's going to be hurdles pop mm. up. Certain businesses have uh, more difficulties than others. Like one that I particularly didn't foresee was the amount of businesses that are late on, uh, on payments when you're doing B2B. Like yeah. I didn't expect how many people would rather go, Hey, I'm going to keep oh, this man. money in my account for an extra week. And then you got to follow up with them to try and try and get the money and just different yeah. little things where you've got to continue pushing through. Like, obviously that's such a small example, but one where a business partner goes rogue or where a client goes out and um, says something really bad about you. Not that that's happened to me, but mm. there's other businesses which have obviously experienced that there's going to be things which are out of your control, which are going to pop up that if you don't have the drive and the passion to keep pushing through it, then you're not going to succeed with it. Sure. I love how you mentioned that, like um, following up on things that don't matter. It's like, if I could, um, if anyone told me that like the reason why they got into business was to like chase up invoices and like do admin work, that'd be like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But, you know, part of running a business, you are going to have those days where, you know, it's just stuff you need to do. There's always going to be boring stuff that you hate chasing up invoices, following up on clients and all this stuff. But, you know, if you don't really love what you're doing, you're probably never going to persevere, right? You're just going to, just going to quit. Exactly. And for me, it's like, I see it as you're either going to work to help build someone else's dream or you're going to work mm. to build your own dream. And I would rather work to build my own rather than working on somebody else's. Like as much as it's mm. nice to have a secure job, um, I think that you're getting a lot more value. And as a young person, you're in a particularly good position, like myself and most of the other young founders that I know still live with their parents. So you're sure. in a position where you have such minimal risk where if something did go wrong that you're not going to fall down and through the cracks and be in such a mm. shitty position that you can't get back up on your feet, that you're better off taking risks when you're younger rather than when you're 30, 40, having a family relying upon you that you actually need that money consistently coming through because mm. if you are in that position, you have so much more pressure on yourself. Like obviously it can be done where you can have a nine to five and then build your business out of those hours. But it's um, putting yourself in a really difficult position where you then don't have time for family, friends, like what we were talking about before with your mental health mm. side of things. And there's so many founders which do have uh, difficult mental health issues because they've done that them, to themselves and have forgotten to take a break to, to step back mm. and to still maintain their social life. Sure. I think um, <clears throat> you also mentioned something like before about what war one you, if you're young and you want to start a business, you might as well because the risk is so minimal. But also um, early on, you actually, we spoke about how the school system is kind of not um, setting people up to do so. Like you, the curriculum is a bit um, kind of specific for people wanting to get like a full-time job. And it doesn't really for pave sure. the way for people like yourself to really excel and grow their companies that you want to talk about that and how, like what needs to change and what people really need to, to kind of learn in the early days um, to, to, I guess, be successful in life. Yeah, for sure. Like for me in particular, I learned pretty much everything that I needed to along the way for the business from mentors, from advisors, mm. from friends based on their experiences and just other founders that were doing similar things or that had done mm. Uh, the stage that I'm at and just getting their feedback on how they got through it 
to then really understand and build it further. There's so much uh, learning that you can get out of there from business books, from marketing books, for example, Mm. uh, from YouTube videos, from other people. Like obviously you've got your YouTube gurus, which are fake gurus that are just selling you a course that's worthless. (laughs) Um, But there's still a lot of valuable content out there. And at the moment, the school industry has and always has been focused towards uh, getting a, a workforce that continues to, to grow to then continue taking mm. civilization and everyone to the next level or continuing through um, to the next hundreds of years. Uh, mm. There's never any angle really that the school presents to you other than mm. go to school, go to university, get a job. You get some people that they'll push, go to school, go to TAFE, go get an apprenticeship and become a chippy or yeah. those people that are a bit more hands-on, but there's never really any skills development that um, goes beyond that test that you're going to sit at school. Like for me, I would study minimal amount of hours at school mm. and I would still manage to get a, a decent enough grade. I ended up graduating with an OP7, which is not bad considering I only went to school three and a half days a week <laughs> and um, didn't really focus that much on school. But yeah. the school, system would put you in a position where you had to study this content and then regurgitate that content in a test Mm. and then after that test pretty much every student unless you've got um like a Mm. fully comprehensive memory and you just remember absolutely everything you're just going to forget it after that test because you've then you've learned what you needed to for that test and now after this test you no Mm. longer need it again so you forget it so you just maintain it for that amount of time and that's not really a good way to be doing things because rather than teaching content, because content is only going to be um, kind of valid for the next say five to 10 years, what happens after that five to 10 years where that content that you learned at school is now useless. You still need to learn it somewhere. Mm. The schooling system should be teaching kids more so how to continue learning rather than the actual content itself. Mm. That'll definitely like, put people in a better position than what they are at the moment, particularly like all, a lot of my friends have no idea what the hell they want to do. And that mm. ends up being so many people and there's, there's no way for them to work out what they want to do other than going and getting some degree and getting into that job and going after a year, this isn't what I want to do yeah. and trying something different. And I know for one of our um, companies that we work closely with, and there's so many companies out there that don't give a shit about your degree that if you can prove that you can be, successfully delivering on the results out of that particular job so for example we just hired a new developer she didn't go to university to to be a developer but she's able to competently develop and so as a result of having those skills you hire someone based off of those skills i don't give a shit about that piece of paper that someone went to school if if they can't um, successfully deliver on the skills that you need them to to be able to fulfill that job that piece of paper is useless yeah. So you think like the school system's kind of rewarding the wrong behavior and to really succeed in life, you need to be always learning, constantly improving and kind of learn on your own kind of thing, not learn on your own, but you know, um, for mentors, the online resources you already have. Right. For sure. Like mm. the, as I said at the start, I, I have never used Pythagoras' theorem trigonometry afterwards. I've used <laughs> basic maths, basic accounting to mm. uh, be able to do spreadsheets, revenue forecasts, all of that kind of stuff. But, all of the other stuff around angles and stuff and all of this crap and poetry and stuff. I, I don't even understand why the hell I have to learn poetry unless I'm <laughs> going to be a journalist, a poet or something like that. Sure. I had to do a review of a poem every single year throughout school. I don't even like poems yeah. and I'm not going to read a poem ever again. Yet I had to do an assignment on that poems. I break down a poem, the different types of poems and you don't get a choice. You have to, to do it. Yeah. Cause I can't see, can't see any point behind it. There's so many things at school that are like that. The, the schooling system really needs to change in the way that it's going to help upskill and prepare students to be able to mm. get into a position where they might like, like at the moment, there's no way for a student to really go test something out mm. and see whether they like that rather, unless they're going to be an apprentice or in the, physical labor industry like you can go and do an apprenticeship while you're at school and test that kind of stuff out but if you want to be a lawyer you can't go test that out if you want to be a judge you can't go test it out if you want to be a software developer you can kind of test that out on your own um if you Mm. want to be an analyst or all these different positions there's no way for you to go and see like the day 
a couple of days in the life of a of a doctor or a lawyer or something like that and just be there and just be a sponge and learn mm. off them. There's no way to see these different opportunities because unless you as a student are actually Googling, what does a lawyer do? Mm. What does a, a business analyst do? What are the different jobs that help X business to function? Unless you're trying to actively go and seek to find out these other jobs, the schooling mm. system doesn't actually tell you what's out yeah. there. You have to, go get that degree and then you go looking on seek or through company web job websites or whatever and say, huh, to get this job, I need to have a bachelor of business. Sure. What does that job actually do? I don't know. Am I going to use anything from my degree? Probably not. Yeah. It's quite and ironic because really I got a bachelor of business degree, but um, I, <laughs> I totally know what you mean. I think a lot of times people kind of just settle for what they, they are in life. Like, you know, they, they go through high school, they study all these different things and don't get me wrong. It definitely has its place, the current curriculum. Like you want to be sure. a doctor, you know, you want to be a lawyer, you need all these fundamental skills. Um, but m- more often than not, there's people out there that don't want to be in these fields, but based on what they've learned and their OP score, they, they have to settle for this specific course in uni and because of their, yeah. um, the course that they did, they then have to settle for a job that, kind of ticks some of the boxes and it isn't necessarily what they want to do, but it's, it pays the bills and whatever. But um, I totally agree. There needs to be something where you can literally just try it out. And then from there really, really tailor the experience to then help each student and individual to really um, get to where they want to be. Right. Um, I think the, an even funnier thing about it is, um, and this isn't, this is me not, I'm not trying to knock teachers, but some of the people that I know, um, actually like became teachers because of their OP. They didn't want mm. to become teachers. The, they became teachers because of this, the, the situation that they're in. They didn't study hard enough or get good enough grades. So the OP that they got made them have to choose education. And because of that, like job security, they chose it and they became teachers. But then it's like, the worst thing that can happen because now these people who are now teachers are now trying to teach students how to become successful and like, you know, become who they, who they want to be. And it's like such a flawed, it's such a flawed model, I think. Um, Sure. Yeah. If they, if they're not having anyone there that's going to lead by example, there's no way that they can expect uh, the students to, to do anything different other than what um, the individual that's kind of teaching them or leading them to do. Mm. So I think that schools would be better place to get people in like you, like me, Mm. like other entrepreneurs to really talk to them, to tell them and really open their eyes what the other opportunities they have other Mm. than going to university are out there because all it takes is Mm. one person like us coming to speak to a parade or an assembly to, to actually speak to our journey to what it's taking to get to this particular point for them to start thinking, well, well maybe that might be something that I'd like to do mm. and I can still go and study at university, but this is something that I can start thinking about whether this would be better suited for me rather than going and being a lawyer, going and being mm. a doctor, going and doing something that I don't actually want to do. Like if I'm passionate about fixing a problem, and have the skills or the drive to do so than you can. Like mm. last year when I had more time uh, and I wasn't so uh, demanded with all of the clients, I was actually still going around to schools and going to different events and speaking to students sure. to, to tell them about the different things that I'd done. And I was also working on a separate business on the side um, prior to COVID to um, take students over to the U S to some of my connections over in Google and mm. Facebook and all these bigger marketing companies like uh, GoDaddy, for example, in yeah. the in the US for them to see these different jobs and the big Ivy League universities going and having a look and speaking to these students. Mm. Because so many people here don't actually even understand that you could go and apply for Columbia, you could go and apply for Stanford, Princeton, Oxford in the US as an international student. So many people here in Brisbane say, oh, I'm going to go to University QT. I'm going to go to University Griffith or UK. Yeah. I don't even think about these different pathways that um, could open up so many more opportunities. Mm. And hence why I was wanting to take these tours sure. of students to see these different places and these different companies, which 
we obviously some have here in Australia, but meet these people to find out how they got into their different jobs to see mm. whether that particular position or that pathway could be a better a better angle for students to follow rather than the traditional pathway, which is nailed into everyone. Do, do you think that's helped though? Like you speaking at these schools, has it, have you seen like the actual impact that it's had to some people? For sure. I've, um, I've seen, like I've spoken to different workshops with businesses that run courses and stuff at, at um, high schools and, and mm. that type of area where I've then had these students that'll send me a message every now and then and ask mm. a question um, based on what I've done to then see whether I can help them with their particular position. Mm. Um, and you then see that you're inspiring these particular individuals. Like for me, for example, when I first started the business in 2016, for there was two things which kind of showed me that it was possible for me to start the business and actually make it successful. One was when I went to an event with this class where it was a TEDx and there was a bunch of different speakers, one of which was mm. Taj Pabari. Back then he was yeah. like 16, 17. He had started his business. He had been relatively successful with it. And he was speaking to what he had done on stage at this TEDx event. Mm. And so that was one of the things that proved to me that as a young person, another young person has done it mm. and it is possible. Second thing was having other successful people to say that this is what I've done and actually hearing the different stories around how they got to that position and how inspiring that was mm. i can see the impact it had upon myself as well as then seeing these other students starting to go and start their own businesses and look up to the like obviously i don't want to put myself on a pedestal or anything but look up to other people that are in the position mm. where they want to work to towards and to achieving something similar to that obviously you don't want to set yourself to be exactly like that particular mm. individual. But if you can reach the point of having a successful business, launching a business, having paying customers and being happy with what you're doing rather than going and sitting behind a desk nine to five and just being miserable with, with what you're doing. Mm. I think that um, I've personally seen a, a quite a bit of an impact on yeah. it. And if we can continue to create greater exposure, like the schools starting to become more and more interested in entrepreneurship and innovation, but there's still a long way to go before it's going to change. Yeah. yeah. Basically learning from people who have done it, done what you want to achieve and kind of just gone from there instead of, you know, <clears throat> following the curriculum and just, you know, being not necessarily a sheep, but, you know, trying to break away from that mold of, you know, you need to succeed by going to university, getting a nine to five job, work that way up that corporate ladder, you know, buy a house, retire. Sure. It's the, yeah, the, the, um, I guess the norm these days. So, um, exactly. And then, sorry, I was just going to say that schools expect uh, students to be led by example. Mm. And that's why they have student leaders and all this type of thing. And the, my prime thing is if you're expecting students to be able to do something different to reach their goals you're not actually providing unless you're providing someone to uh, show as an example mm. then how are students going to see what they can actually achieve unless there is something uh, someone there that they can see what has been achieved and that they can do something similar mm. and reach their goals if they put in the work sure sure um yeah, no, that's, that's super interesting. And I, I really, really agree with everything you've just said there. Um, we've been talking for quite a bit, so I think I might like wrap it up soon just to like um, end it off, maybe give like, I don't know, three tips for someone who's in high school, who wants to start a business. What would like the th three best tips you would suggest be for this new entrepreneur? Ooh, now you put me on the spot. Yeah. It's a bit of a hard one. Um, it always maybe is. Maybe just one good one then. <laughs> one good one. I reckon we could probably hit three. Yeah. Let's say for some of the people that have seen Wolf of Wall Street, they have the example in there with getting where um, Jordan Belfort gets the, the team to sell him a pen. Yeah. There's a particularly good example in that obviously i don't want 14 year olds to go out and watch wolf of wall street but <laughs> they, <laughs> that probably wouldn't end too well i don't think yeah sure. be too happy with that um, but there's a really good example with that pen so if you're looking to to solve a problem with mm. it if someone comes up to you 
with a pen. If I came up to you right now and said, sell me this pen, mm. how would you sell that pen to me? Are you asking me myself? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm asking you, sorry. Well, for, for me, I, I know a couple of marketing formulas. So what I do is kind of, um, well, I'd, I'd try and hook you with something, but I'd identify an issue, then like agitate the issue to the point where like you, you, you realize there's a problem that needs to be solved. And then I introduce the pen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And that's the prime example of what people need to be doing. If you're selling to someone or you're wanting mm. to start something, you need to first identify the problem understand the problem before you can deliver a solution because if you try and deliver mm. a solution prior to having a really comprehensive understanding of what the problem is there's a very very high mm. likelihood that you're not going to solve the problem mm. with whatever that solution that you which you're offering and going back to that example with the pen if you're going to sell somebody a pen there's a strategy there where uh, you go up to someone can you write down your name for me they don't have a pen would you like a pen? Which is the exact example that they gave in Wolf of Wall Street. But mm. if someone also doesn't have a piece of paper, then you have the example or the opportunity there to upsell them on a piece of paper sure. as well as selling them on a pen. So there's so many different ways of looking at things and it's really crucial to step back and fully look at everything and comprehensively understand what you're doing before mm. diving into it. Because if you go in too early without understanding it, there's a very high likelihood of not being successful. So that would be one of the things. And then the second one would be identify mm -hmm. something and work on something that you're passionate about. So if mm -hmm. you're a surfer, there's a kid that I've um, met, he's working on his own organic surf wax because there's bad mm -hmm. oils and all this kind of stuff in, uh, in surf wax currently. So he's solving a, a problem in an area that he's really passionate about. So you need to then work out what you're passionate about if there's a problem that you've experienced and go, huh, you know what? I could actually probably solve this problem if I think about it a bit more or introduce something, mm -hmm. pick a field where you're interested in and that you can then continue to show that passion. That yep. would be number two. Oh, we do almost cut out there. <laughs> I think we're back. Are we back? Yeah, I think we're good. Okay, number three. <laughs> we'll, we'll just cut it out too. Cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> you cut it at two. Oh, got to yeah. wait for part two for number yeah, three. Yeah, sign up to my one, sign yeah. up to my newsletter to to get the third tip. Or watch the full video on YouTube to, <laughs> yeah, to exactly. see it. Or watch part two on TikTok before you can can see the full uh, full last part of it. That last crucial thirty seconds of um <laughs> yeah of it. But my tactic. last thing. Exactly. The last thing would yeah. be to continue persevering. So even yeah. though things will come up as being tough, it's crucial to then understand what your goal is. And then no matter mm -hmm. what, set your incremental goals that you can achieve week in, week out, month in, month out. So mm -hmm. then you can eventually uh, fulfill and realize your full five, 10 year goal. And sure. you, you have to continue persevering through whatever barriers, whatever challenges come up in order to continue mm. doing that. And I think by setting week in, week out and month in, month out goals, and then getting that little um, bits of success that you are achieving your goals, those little bits, it continues to motivate you and keep yeah. you in the zone to continue being successful. So just to confirm, first one, identify an issue that's worth solving before you start selling it to people, like really figure out and understand what people need. Second one, find something you're passionate about, um, really love what you're doing. And then the third one is set goals and persevere. Make sure you're hitting those KPIs to motivate yourself. Exactly. Beautiful. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for your time. Um, if anybody wants to learn more about your business, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at uh, M-I-T-C-H-R-O-B-I-N-S-O-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-N-